thank you so much for uh, for for the time today, Billy. We we're uh, we're so happy to talk to you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, are you um, are you in between some gigs right now? Yeah, well, uh, yes, I've, I've been working a lot with the, the cookers, mm -hmm. and uh, we're taking a, a little break here for a second. So um, it's great to talk to you, Billy. I, I wanted to ask you first a little bit about uh, the latest album from the cookers. I know that that's your sixth uh, album release, and, you know, you guys still sound so fresh. Um, how do you maintain that level of freshness in your in your compositions, uh, even after being together for twelve plus years? Well, you know, it's it's a, it's a matter of uh, uh, I mean, we're not playing every day all the time, working all the time like that. So everybody's really anxious to to hit whenever we get a chance. Mm -hmm. Makes it exciting and and uh, sounds new. How do you guys d divide up the uh, the compositions? Do you have a you know you each get a couple of tracks, or it just depends on who's come to the sessions with some f with some fresh new work? Uh, I think it, it's just a matter of who comes to the, comes to the session with new work. I mean, we, we might rehearse it before getting uh, getting ready to record it, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, if somebody has a, a brainstorm and, and comes up with five new five well no nobody ever gets that much but if they get a whole lot all of a sudden then we'll deal with it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's always uh struck me that you know uh because the band is um obviously you're all you know great veterans of many different groups and all your own bands as well uh but that you you decided to to record original compositions and not just make it a sort of a legacy act, you know, playing standards. Um, yeah. is, is that something that you decided together as a group that you would make it, you, you didn't want to just be playing the same old standards as a sort of a legacy act, but to really record fresh new work? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think it would be, well, for me anyway, and, and I guess the other guys know that it, it wouldn't be interesting for me and maybe not for them, if we just played standards, mm -hmm. uh, you know, no, it's, it's it makes it uh, gives it a, a unique touch if we have our own uh, approach, our own commun uh, com compositions. Uh, <laughs> it makes it different, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, um, Billy, I, I know that you um, you come from Texas, and I think that uh, you know I've always felt like listening to your music. Um, I could always hear, even when it was some more maybe free context or experimental context, I could always hear uh, the deep sound of the blues in your music. Um, how much of that comes from growing up in Texas and being surrounded by all of that blues and R&B? Uh, I think most of it comes from that because I, uh, you know, when I was uh, when I was coming up. Well, Texas is a real bluesy kind of place, mm -hmm. <laughs> so you can't miss it. Well, okay, maybe some people do, but but if you're going to really play music and know something about it, you will have to know something about the blues. And I played, I played a lot of blues gigs when I was uh, in, in high school. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you played in an R&B band in high school. Is that right? Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Wow. So, I mean, I guess that's a part of it, uh, as a part of you. But also, I went to church a lot, and I heard the, 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 real, the real, real feeling there in church as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting the, 
the real sense of what real soul is and also what real blues can mm -hmm. be. Yeah, and that was just great, uh, great combination. I, I didn't know that it was that important at the time, but definitely <laughs> stuff. Well, that, that's interesting. You, you mentioned the church because I um, I was listening to uh, an album of yours from uh, the year two thousand the other day called Soul of an Angel. I don't know if you remember that yeah. one. And uh, yeah. the op the opening track, Thine is the Glory. Obviously, that's a, a, a quite a religious title. Um, and I was thinking that, you know, the sound of your saxophone, not only with the blues and gospel in it, um, it to me, it was it's quite overwhelming because I'm not a religious person, but your music is almost like listening to religious music. Have you heard that from many of your other listeners? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I've heard from a lot of listeners. Uh, some people have come up uh, after we played uh, something of mine and said, wow, it felt like I was in church. All right. <laughs> That's good. I, I wasn't trying to make it feel like that, but I was trying to get to the spirituality of it. <laughs> and if it, if, if it happens in a club, it's great. releases come out on various labels here in Japan. Um, labels such as Trio, uh, Denon, Bass State, um, and you also worked repeatedly with the producer uh, Yoshio Ozawa. Do you remember anything right. about Ozawa-san? Have you, have you, had you kept in touch with him over the years? 
Uh, I remember a lot about Ozawa. I haven't seen him in a long time, though, and we haven't talked. I assume that he must, well, he must be in the States, maybe still. But he was, he was uh, one of the strong connections of Max, Max Roach, when I was playing with Max. And they were at, uh, uh, working at the same college or something. You know, so that's, I, I think, how Ozawa got in, in the picture. They were working at the same college in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was at the same time that also you were connected with Archie Shep, and, and I think they were at the same universities? Well, yeah. Well, Max and Archie were at the same university, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, because we we were we were interested, you know, uh, that you you have this deep connection uh, to Japan through your career recording, and also um, one of my favorite records of yours, uh, which was recorded in New York, uh, but for the Japanese Denon label, uh, is uh, Soran Bushi. And uh, you know yeah. the, the great the great composition you made taking the, the old fisherman song, uh, fisherman sort of folk song, in Japan. Um, how did you first get exposed right. to to this kind of Japanese folk music and be, get inspired to write your own interpretation of it? Well, you know, uh, when I went to Japan with with Art Blakey, I uh, mm-hmm. I was exposed to a lot of the the Japanese music, and and that one was particular one that sounded so soulful to me. I mean, I... It, you, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Billy. Yeah, if you, if you could just say that again, you, you, you heard, uh, you heard that, that folk song and you found it very, very soulful. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, they, uh, they basically sing it a, a lot faster than I play it because I heard it slower and soulfully. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, that one, that one feels very good. I, I, I um, you know, uh, I, I guess I also heard it uh, vocally. Some a Japanese singer was doing it vocally, and and it sounded just soulful. So I, I thought, yeah, I can have that in my what? Um, so Billy, in you uh, in the early nineteen or mid nineteen seventies with uh, the Tad Jones and Mel Lewis uh, orchestra, um, you were in Japan and. I believe that uh, it was John Faddis and uh, Hino Motohiko, the drummer, um, a recording that you did, and, and there was a, a, a track called Two Ds from Shinjuku, Dig and Doug. Yes, yeah. there's the album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, okay, that's it. <laughs> do you do you remember um, what inspired you to write that that song? Was it being exposed to the so Shinjuku's where a lot of the jazz cafes and Dig and Doug were yes. really famous um, cafes, and in fact, the the owner of Doug Nakadaira-san, he's a famous photographer here, and um, he's uh, he's still alive. He, his son yeah. runs the cafe. We've interviewed him before, and um, he has so many great pictures of that time period of all of the musicians coming from America and playing with Japanese musicians. So, what sort of inspiration did you get from from that visit and that scene? Well, I, th- I thought that uh, it was very uh, clever, very wise for him to name the club Dig. <laughs> uh, and because, well, okay, I know from a Japanese point of view, it's probably just, okay, let's use this uh, jazz language. All right. But it's, it, it is, uh, I mean, it's something that uh, a lot of the musicians around that time, maybe now also, 
uh, was makes the statement, you dig? You know, so, 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 blah, 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 blah. You dig? <laughs> you know? Right. <clears throat> so it was wise to use that as, as the name of a club. Okay. And uh, so I thought, dig and dug. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, we have a, a, a one more question about Japan, and this one is a little bit obscure. Um, in in the 1980s, uh, you you were playing in Osaka with Sonny Fortune and uh, Kenny Barron and Jimmy Cobb um, and Stafford James, and they recorded um, a very special, like sort of limited edition collectors only uh, recording from this, and uh, including one of your songs called Danjiri Prelude. Um, Hiroko, can you show him that record? Oh, yeah. Let me see. Uh-huh. Yeah, this, is, this was from 1985, and this was a, a, a record that they only made 500 copies of um, oh. at the time, like a special in, involved with the mayor, the mayor of Osaka <laughs> was, was one of the sponsors for this. I don't know if you uh, remember that from 1985. I, I remember Yes, yes, yes. Um, I don't, I don't, let me see. I don't think that, that uh, many of the, well, none of those copies got to the U.S. Mm. But, oh. <laughs> you know, I, I saxophone madness, huh? Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. So here, here ago, there were only 500 copies, is that right? Only 500. And you, you had yes. to search, you had to search hard to get it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad she has. Anyway. <laughs> right. Right. Um, in uh, in 2000, in the in the late 2000s, you uh, recorded a little bit with uh, Amiri Baraka on the Blue Prince of Jazz. Uh, yeah. How did your collaboration with him come about? Was he an old friend of yours? Uh, let's see. Uh, I think we kind of uh, first met each other around that time in personal way. Of course, mm -hmm. I knew about him. <laughs> and uh, he, he was a jazz fan anyway, and he knew about us. So it was easy easy to meet. And, and uh, I had met him also with Max Roach when I was playing with Max. Mm -hmm. And uh, since he liked jazz, and he liked, to, he liked uh, uh, reciting over the jazz sound, you know, it was easy to get, get, get something going with him. Mm -hmm. That period for you in, in, the, in the early 2000s, uh, before the Cookers Band came together, um, were you doing a lot of, uh, still doing a lot of composition uh, for, your, for your own recordings? Oh, yeah. Well, my, usually I, I was thinking of writing for my own uh, group. Mm -hmm. And then if I came up with something good, then I used it with... The group that was working could be the cookers, could be the, you know, uh, a record, uh, a record label recording, uh, recording something. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I heard an interview with you from a couple years ago, and and you said something very interesting. You said that um, composition for you is very similar to playing. It just comes naturally, and it's something that's always being done. You don't sit down and decide to write. You just feel it and you write, whether you're making an album or not. Has that process been the same for you ever since you were, you know, a, a young musician first starting out, that you've always just felt the music coming through you and you have to write whether you're recording or not? It has, yeah. And it's because uh, 
I was all, well, I started as a little kid singing. And so a lot of times a, a melody or a composition or something might come uh, as a song, singing. Okay. And if I, if I think it's good enough, I write it down. And now I, I play it on the horn, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, a so little that's bit of why, that's why some of the uh, the Japanese menu also okay. usually they're singing, they're singing uh, with the, with the shakes and stuff, <laughs> and it's not, it's so different. I like it, so I thought, yeah, this would be good. I'm more. question um so you know i've, I've lived in japan for a, a long time and um I, I was very struck when one day i went into a record store and you know how they list the genres you know rock r&b hip-hop whatever um one of these record stores yeah. all, all they had was a sign that said black music and i was <laughs> I, I was at the time i was like this is unusual in america i don't think he would say this um but I think the Japanese fans had a sort of understanding that R&B, jazz, blues, even hip-hop and soul is all the same. It's a different branch of the same tree. It's black American music. Yeah. Um, And I know that, uh, you know, in the U.S., I I was watching the documentary about Lee Morgan that you appeared in. And um, Lee Morgan had a a very interesting quote. He wasn't the first. Charles Mingus said it. Duke Ellington said it. said, I don't like the word jazz. That's not a word that, that was a word put onto us. It's not, 
yeah. descriptive of our music. Uh, and I think he used the term black classical music or black American classical music. Right, right, right. How do you feel about these descriptions and how do you feel about the word jazz itself? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's considered black uh, classical music, black creative music, but the use of the term jazz uh, has had a, uh, a sort of uh, uh, magical kind of uh, uh, effect, and it draws people to hear what, what is jazz, what is that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why I suppose it has lasted as, as uh, the term jazz. But and, and by now, every, every, all the countries know it, know it by that name. So, okay. Sorry. Right, right. In Japan, I mean, it's it's used um, without any sort of cultural context to it because right, right. not everybody is aware of the, the origins and, 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 the, and the connotations in the United States. But um, certainly, you know, Japan is one of the most jazz-loving countries um, in the world. Uh, it's, yeah, it's quite amazing yeah. how many clubs and, and cafes there are. And, um, you know, your music is, is so incredibly popular here. Um, in, in fact, you know, you can find some of your records here that are very hard to find in the United States even now. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, um, how, how did that, how did that, uh, how did that, uh, uh, how did you react to that when you came to Japan and realized that you had this fan base here who was so knowledgeable and dedicated to your music? Well, you know, I, I always felt that, that, uh, uh, the Japanese people were so open, very open to, to jazz. And certainly to my music, I was playing, I was, I think, there with Art Blakey, and uh, they loved Blakey himself and, and the music. So whenever we played, uh, it was like uh, making a real connection with them, mm-hmm. no matter what we played. But, of course, if I'm going to play uh, uh, something that, that I like from their, their culture, then it's going to be even better, mm-hmm. and I and I, I honestly uh, like those those compositions that that I use from their culture, their folk music. Mm-hmm. Uh, one quick question about um, going back to John Coltrane. Um, Coltrane's music is is so influential, uh, even all these decades after he's passed. Um, what kind of impact did his music have on you as a young musician? Well, uh, it had a very profound effect on me because I felt and and heard his connection to spirituality, the the, the spiritual spiritual feeling that was coming from the black church because I felt it also. I mean, I I didn't want to to play... uh, 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 black songs or, or spiritual songs from church per se, but I wanted that feeling and, and uh, Coltrane understood it just like I did. Mm. Okay. Um, well, B- Billy, um, you know, we, we don't want to take up too much of your time. We'll have a couple more minutes. Um, but I, I just, okay. wa- I just wanted to say, uh, you know, um, it's, it's such a, it's such a thrill to, to talk to you because, um, you know, in, in my uh, in my time as as a music fan, 
Um, your music has been so um, important and, and, and special to me. And, you know, we really hope that, um, you know, if things get a little easier, we can get you back here to Japan <laughs> for some shows. Uh, I know it's been quite a few years since you've been here. Is that right? Sure, sure. And, and I love playing in Japan all the time, yeah. Mm. Because people are open-hearted for, for the music and the feeling, the feeling and the soul that they feel in the music. And that makes me play that much better. So, yeah. And Hiroko, I, I think you, you wanted to, to, to give Billy a special message. Uh, is, that, is that okay? Yeah? Yes. <laughs> uh, Billy, I, I'm super beginner in English. <laughs> so, but I am a huge fan of yours. I, I can't believe I get to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy that you're, you're talking to me. Uh, I quit uh, your record. <laughs> okay. Ready? Oh, good. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. You're a real fan. <laughs> yes. So, do you, do you remember this album? Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You got them all. Yes. Uh, it's my favorite album. <laughs> Oh, great, great, great. <laughs> so, um, yes, I, I have something I really want to tell you. So, James, help me translate. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and when, when, <laughs> when I okay. be became a jazz fan, it was through the Strata East label. Oh, and, yeah. And also Japanese label like Bay State and Torio, Torio Records. Yeah. yeah. Your album, The Believer, Believer, on best date, and your song, Crooked Ballet. Crooked Ballet. Yes. Okay, Crooked right. yeah, okay, Ballet. Yeah. Uh, became so important to me and helped me fall in love with music. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I become emotional. That's <laughs> uh, and I become emotional when I hear it even today. Oh, yeah. uh, your album inspired me to start a career in music as a DJ and producer in Japan. Good. Very <laughs> so good. I, so I really want to say thank you. Yeah, thank well, thank you. For all your wonderful music. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you very wonderful. much. Wonderful. <laughs> All right, thank you. Well, Billy, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, we're so happy to talk with you, and, you know, it's such a treat. And, uh, you know, we love you. We love your music, and we really hope that we could see you here in Japan again. Um, it, would be yes. such, it would be such a thrill. I, 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 messaged, uh, I messaged David um, because, you know, the borders have opened up now. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get some gigs to come. I mean, that would be really, would be really amazing. So, yeah, that, your new album, your new, your, your new release here from Antibe came out, you know? Okay. Well, I, I hope to be in Japan. Yeah, I'd love to come. I like right. playing in Japan. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much. Have a, have a great week. And, uh, and, and uh, uh, tell uh, Morana we said to thank you so much as well for setting this up. It's been a really honor for us. Thanks. Hey, all right. Thank you. Okay, take uh, care. Bye-bye. Arigato. -bye. Thank you very much. Thank you.